Will Antonio Brown be a Steeler in 2019? What can Freddie Kitchens do for Nick Chubb, Jarvis Landry, and David Njoku? And how can Matt LaFleur make Aaron Rodgers great again? Plus, the 2018 FFPC Pros vs. Joe's Champs, Cal Alcorn and Sean Isaacs will co-host with me tonight about their Pros vs. Joe's title, their FFPC Main Event League Championship, and much more. We've got a great show for you. Caleb Alcorn and Sean Isaacs are here. I'm Eric Balkman. Stick around. Your high-stakes fantasy football hour starts now. Once upon a time not long ago, when people wore pajamas and lived life slow, where laws were stern and justice stood, and people were behaving like they ought to good, there lived a little boy who was misled by another little boy, and this is what he wrote. Me and you tonight, we're going to make some cash, robbing old folks and making the dance. They did the job, money came with ease But one couldn't stop, it's like he had a disease He robbed another and another and a sister and a brother Tried to rob a man who was a DC undercover The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic Broadcast live and heard around the world You are now listening to the most entertaining hour of radio on the planet It's the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour Presented by MyFFPC.com With your hosts, Eric Balkman and Dave Gerzak the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour is your home for football analysis from the best fantasy players in the world. And now, because no one else was available, here are Eric Balkman and Dave Gerzak. Shot for the head, he shot back, but he missed up. Looked around good and from expectations, he decided he'd hit for the subway station. But she was coming and he made a left. He was running top speed till he was out of breath. Knocked an old man down and swore he killed him. Thanks so much, Grab. Greetings and salutations, all of you Balkaholics, Anger, Zadik, and Addicts. Welcome to the latest episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, presented by MyFFPC.com. I'm your slightly above-average host, Eric Balkman. My co-host is normally the patron saint of fantasy football, the Dizzle, Dave Gerzak. However, tonight I'm joined by a duo newer to the FFPC format, completing their second year in the high-stakes streets this past season. In those two years, they won the Telly Savalas, who loves you, baby, FFPC Main Event League in 2018, along with an 80th place finish in the 2018 FFPC Main Event Championship round. They are also the 2018 Pros versus Joes overall champs, first place out of 72 teams, and first place in the Pros versus Joes Rudy Does It Again League, holding first place for the entire season. Please welcome in my co-hosts for tonight, Caleb Alcorn and Sean Isaacs. Gentlemen, congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here, for sure. Thank you. Uh, always excellent. That's, that's awesome. Thank you so much for showing. You know, the thing is... Um, Whenever we, I always joke around like, oh, this is a massive host upgrade and everything uh, because Dave isn't here tonight and I actually get to talk with people who are winning real cash in the FFPC. I always appreciate that. But legitimately speaking tonight, you guys not only won a main event league title this year, you also beat 36 of the most respected uh, respected people in the industry and 36 super, super talented FFPC Joes. We are going to get into that and much more tonight. So thank you so much for joining me, guys. Coming up on tonight's show, we'll cover all the head coaching changes or as many as we can get to that have happened in the NFL thus far this season, how they're going to affect drafts in 2019. Plus, we're going to help you try and put together those last-minute FFPC playoff challenge number two lineups before the deadline in roughly 18 hours. And I just checked right now. Currently left in the competition, this is a 1,000-team uh, cap. There are 144 teams left, so we're 
Um, basically 85% full. And for those of you who are not familiar with the FFPC Playoff Challenge 2, I can't blame you because this is the first year you've ever done it. It is a $50,000 grand prize, a $175,000 prize pool, just $200 to uh, enter. It's a 1,000 team cap as opposed to the uh, world-famous FFPC Playoff Challenge. This one only has an eight-player lineup. Uh, you can only take one player per team. Uh, there's eight teams left, obviously, so you want to make sure that you have a eight-team lineup. Uh, and the challenge closes tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time, right before uh, that first playoff game of the day, which I believe is Indianapolis and Kansas City. So make sure you get those lineups in. And as a special uh, public service announcement, we understand that the lineup, when you submit it, it's going to say that you have empty spots because normally you need a 10-team lineup. Don't worry about it. As long as you have eight teams or eight players on there, as long as one of them is on each team, uh, you will be all set. Uh, for anybody who is already looking forward to the 2019 season, we have plenty, probably the most we've ever had as far as tw uh, 2019 Dynasty teams that are available right now, Dynasty Orphans. You can go to myffpc.com and check those out right now. Uh, Dave uh, uh, has all the picks and all the players listed, as long as a uh, as well as a suggested retail value of the team too. Uh, feel free to make your best offer on that, and um, it may get accepted, it may not. Um, but uh, plenty of new, and there's new teams added every day. I think we added a, a handful more of them today, and those prices keep coming down. So even if you looked at that page and you didn't see anything you liked, um, keep checking it periodically every couple of days because those prices will come down, and you might get a pretty good deal on your hands as well. That's all at myffpc.com. Uh, shout out to the chat room right now. Feel free to anybody post uh, any questions you might have for me or Caleb or uh, Sean uh, at HSFF hour uh, tonight is uh, the show at Eric Balkman at uh, David Gerzak is where to reach Dave and Caleb and, and correct me if I'm wrong guys on, on these Twitter names. I think I have it. Caleb, you are at the underscore Cal Alcorn. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. And then, and then, Sean, you give your Twitter name offhand. I, I think it's S Isaacs three hundred three, right? Uh, yes, that is correct. All right, perfect. So we got the Twitter names down. I feel like uh, we're off to a rousing start here, uh, which which is always good uh, when we get off get off to a fast start. Facebook.com slash HSFFR 347-426-3682-347. Game over if you want to give us a call. Talk to me, Caleb, or Sean tonight. Football at gmail.com is the uh, inbox if you want to uh, send us an email. And Rob, our producer and mutual friend, and our audio engineer, Bryce, will get those questions to us coming up in the second half of tonight's show in the Fantasy Feedback uh, segment. We'll get to all the tweets, questions, emails, and much more uh, coming up later on in the show. Before we get to that, I want to uh, talk to Caleb and Sean here. Not only are you guys the pros versus Joes overall champs, not only are you the uh, main event Kelly Savalas League champions, uh, but you guys do some other stuff besides playing fantasy football. When you're not enjoying that, tell us what you do for a living. Caleb, I'll, I'm going to let you go first on this one, and then Sean, go ahead and pipe in right after he's done. Yeah, so I'm a digital marketing um, analysis. My actual title is a senior strategic account manager. Um, kind of in short, I just run customer acquisition programs for big countries all across the U.S. I'm in data most of the day, and it's it's very fun, but it definitely lends well to a lot of the kind of talents and needs for being a successful fantasy player. So um, that's what I do during the day, and we both live in Denver, so we like to spend a lot of time outside, and Sean's currently up in the mountains getting some skiing in. Nice, Sean. So you're, yeah. you're skiing this weekend. What, what, what are you doing for a living when you're not skiing and playing fantasy football? Um, 
I'm a UPS driver, so way less complicated than uh, Caleb's career. <laughs> I, that's I uh, well, listen. It's, that listen. Uh, there's uh, there's a yin and a yang that I've 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 seen from a lot of these high stakes partnerships over the years, and and clearly you guys uh, have that as well. And we're gonna delve deep into uh, to what makes you guys so successful and what has made you so successful over the last couple of years in the FFPC. Kicking things off tonight, Kale. Let's talk about this pros versus Joe's draft. We covered it live here on this show. Uh, when you guys were drafting uh, in the Rudy Does It Again League. Um, I want to get, I, you know, we won't, we won't delve into each pick in this 28-round draft because um, we just don't have the time. But I, I think there's a few, a few key picks we can sort of hit on tonight. And let's start it off with in the first round. Uh, you guys took Saquon Barkley. You had the opportunity to take a guy like DeAndre Hopkins if you wanted to go receiver. If you wanted to go elsewhere with a more proven running back, you certainly could have gone Melvin Gordon over the rookie. But tell us a little bit, uh, because obviously the Barkley pick was a home run. Give us some insight into, you know, when, when you and Sean were talking, the thought process that went into to making uh, Saquon Barkley your first, uh, first overall pick in this league. Yeah, so we kind of build our own – well, I have my own model that kind of spits out, kind of ranks and does some of the more kind of like analytical aspect. And then we kind of go through that and kind of do our own kind of ranks and tiers. And we just had Barkley, kind of our number eight ranked player, going into this year. Um, Nuke was right behind him. Um, Hopkins was right behind him. And then we had um, Alvin Kamara and Antonio Brown right before him, which both went. So we just kind of went with what we had on our board and what we were confident with. Um, even being a rookie, we just felt like he had a lot of upside. Um, he's just an athletic freak, which he definitely showed this year. So there was some risk to it, but kind of given it these stakes and kind of what pros versus Joe's is being an all or nothing type of draft, we just felt like Barkley could kind of lead us to kind of a championship. And that kind of went through fruition once the season ended up. Yeah, no, that, that plan got executed perfectly as far as that goes. I was with you, man. I, I really like Saquon Barkley uh, this past year. The leagues that I did draft him in, I had really good seasons on him. And, and it's, it's, it's a good uh, test to anybody who says, you, you know, don't take a rookie in the first round, a rookie running back, what, ha- what have you, uh, because it's, more often than not, you are going to be wrought with disaster at that pick. That was not the case this year. Now, other years, maybe that is the case, but certainly this year, if you took Saquon Barkley anywhere in the first round, you're probably loving life, as I know you guys were in this league. Uh, Sean, as this draft unfolded, you know, as I was kind of reviewing it over the past week and, and looking at how you guys built this, um, Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill, Juju Smith-Schuster, you guys drafted all three of those guys in this league. And right next to you, picking uh, the pro, Elliot Chris from the Quant Edge, he began his draft with five straight running backs uh, from the sixth spot. You guys were in the seven. And I'm just curious, what was, were, these, were these slam dunk picks for you, given that, that Elliot kept loading up at running back and you guys got all this great value at receiver? Were those easy decisions for you guys? I mean, were you pumping your fists when you're making these picks, or, or were, were they still kind of tough decisions? Um, so we, we had a plan, and, uh, you know, you can plan for a draft, but then you have to go with the flow of the draft as well. And so, no, we didn't plan on going wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. But at times you just kind of have to take what's given. And I think I was on – I really wanted Keenan Allen. And I, I haven't looked at the draft board recently, but I think he went one before Michael Thomas. And Caleb was a huge Michael Thomas guy. So we were more than happy there. And then I think Tyreek Hill is a great 
best ball draft uh, type player because, you know, if he has that two catch for 30-yard week, you don't need him, but you're going to get those seven catch, 150-yard, two touchdown games, and kind of the same with Juju. Um, I think he, Juju Smith-Schuster, had even a bigger year than we could have hoped for. We're going to get into, and I got some more questions for you uh, on Michael Thomas and Juju Smith-Schuster. Well, not necessarily about Juju Smith-Schuster, but about the Steelers receivers as we look forward uh, to what, what's going to happen in Pittsburgh next year. Later on in the show, no doubt. Um, let me switch to tight ends very briefly here and talk a little bit about what you guys did there because I thought this was a very key pick uh, that, that helped you not only win your league but win the overall competition uh, as well. Sean, 11 tight ends were off the board when you and Caleb took the 12th tight end off the board in this league at the 707. It was San Francisco 49ers tight end, George Kittle. What can you share with us? Maybe not necessarily or not only why you liked George Kittle uh, in this league at that spot, but maybe why you also wanted to get two top 12 tight ends in this format, because whether you set out to do it or not, that's exactly what happened uh, for you uh, here, uh, Sean. What can you take us behind the scenes of that pick? Yeah, so uh, I'm a I'm a huge I always draft to my roster, and when you have multiple flex positions, that really opens up where you can draft and and where you can focus on. And then when you throw in the FFPC format of being 1.5 point PPR, that gives tight end a boost. And they were kind of going off, you know, tight end. Were, there was a little bit of a tight end run at that time. And, and, you know, I was on guys like Delaney Walker and so on and so forth. But San Francisco, at the end of, I believe it was the 2016 season, their offense was booming, and they were very good. And I was really on Garoppolo and that whole offense, you know, and McKinnon ended up going down. But Kittle was one of those guys that, you know, he was a key component in that offense thriving and being very successful. And that's what we saw, and it kind of worked out that way. Sean, let me ask you a follow-up to that because uh, as much as, you know, we and I was high in the Niners' defense coming – or excuse me, the Niners' offense coming into the season, obviously before Garoppolo and McKinnon went down. But I look at what this, what this team will be next season. You know, you have your franchise quarterback coming back off the ACL injury. You'll have McKinnon coming back as well, and, and we all know that, that he is valuable as a pass catcher in this offense. Dante Pettis, you'd like to think, will be making that uh, second step uh, as he enters his second season as a, uh, a second-round pick. So you'd like to see him take a leap forward. And then we saw some other guys step up on this team as well. And I haven't even mentioned Marquise Goodwin, who a lot of people were drafting as the number one receiver on the Niners uh, this past year. As we flash forward to 2019, um, I don't know how you feel about this. Maybe this is a leading question, but George Kittle. I mean, is he a top three, top four tight end uh, this coming year? Or do you guys sort of view him as, okay, he was good, but they didn't have a lot of, of players that could really um, attack defenses uh, on this team that were healthy, and now they will this coming season. How much, I mean, do you bump George Kittle down in your rankings at all next year? Or is this the type of thing, the performance that you see, okay, he's here to stay, he's a stud tight end going forward? Um. I, I believe that he's a stud going forward. I think he's a very uh, dynamic tight end in an offense that I don't think is going to go away. And 
even, you know, Nick Mullins comes in and that offense, they kept picking up steam. I don't think there's a great reason to get off of George Kittle and, and, you know, seeing the struggles with the tight end position this past season, he's a proven guy in my eyes. Um, I'm going to like him a lot going forward. Uh, Caleb? Yeah, I think he's mumped. I think he moves into that kind of top three tight end position and probably surpasses Gronk given kind of some of the struggles that we saw Gronk had. It will be kind of interesting for us moving into next year if Kittle is someone that we'll have on a lot of rosters kind of given the high equity that sometimes it's tough to kind of give it that tight end spot in the top three rounds. Um, it'll definitely be an interesting interesting decision, but I definitely think he'll be a top three tight end from a draft standpoint next year. Yeah, man, I'm with you on that. I think I think he goes in the top three. I think he is third, and I think you're going to see in most drafts, Kelsey and Ertz will be picked ahead of him. Obviously, he's going to go much higher uh, in drafts this coming season than he did last year. Uh, at the at the expense of Gronk, I mean, he's going to tumble down. You have some other players that that were are going to be coming off bad seasons. We'll have to see where they go. Evan Engram, I'm I'm interested to see where he goes. OJ Howard is another guy that I think is going to be fun to watch where he is going in the early season drafts as well. So a lot to shake out at tight end, but I think you're right. George Kittle has cemented his status as a top three tight end, no question. Caleb Alcorn and Sean Isaacs, the 2018 FFPC Pros versus Joes overall champs, as well as uh, having a main event league title under their belts as well, co-hosting the HSFF Hour tonight with yours truly, Eric Balkman. One of the other things I noticed, Caleb, on, on this team, and it might have been a coincidence, and maybe maybe the draft just fell this way, or maybe you, you actually tried to build the team through these young quarterbacks. I know Patrick Mahomes wasn't a rookie, but he was basically going into his first year as a full-time starter. You and Sean drafted him in this league. Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, two other rookie quarterbacks that you guys added on your roster. Was this, again, was this just a coincidence that you got these young quarterbacks? Or was there actually some value in the unknown, not knowing what these guys could, could put forth, not knowing when they would take the, with the exception of Mahomes, not knowing when they would take over the starting job? Well, was there some value there in grabbing these young rookie quarterbacks late? Yeah, so definitely for the rookie quarterbacks. In this draft, it seemed like rookies plummeted. I think if you look at the draft board, Chubb was kind of one guy that was a rookie as well that kind of really just fell off the board. So kind of when we got into the last five or six picks, we just didn't really see a whole lot of value from a position standpoint. Um, so we just kind of took some darts with the unknown of kind of what Mahomes is. Even as high as we were um, on Mahomes going into the season, we were very happy to get him there. But you just didn't really know what he was actually going to be from an output standpoint. So, yeah, we just kind of had those kind of rookie quarterbacks fall to us, and we just threw the darts, and they didn't really kind of pan out that much for us just because Mahomes was, in essence, an every-week starter. But they would have been kind of just fine if we needed them down the road. Yeah. No, I, and you had – I mean – even throwing Mahomes out of it, I mean, you guys might not have won the overall title, but your team was so strong that even without Mahomes, having that, that uh, pairing of Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson down the stretch probably uh, would have been uh, enough to keep you guys right in the thick of it into the end. And then when you lump in the, the MVP of the league or the upcoming MVP of the league, it was a slam dunk for you guys going forward. So congrats on, on that PVJ title. Uh, let's just shift over and talk about the FFPC main event league, uh, the Telly Savalas league that you guys won. Uh, Caleb, congrats on that. I noticed that um, – just like your pros versus Joe squad, you had Michael Thomas on this team as well. Now, was he a guy uh, that you you guys had targeted in your drafts this year as as far as, um, you know, your number one receiver? And as we look forward to 2019, 
2019, if you guys were taking a receiver um, and you had your pick of the litter, is Michael Thomas the choice? So I'm definitely a big Michael Thomas guy, especially going into this year. He just seemed extremely undervalued. Um, people were really low on Breeze and just kind of some of the efficiencies that the run game had. And I just thought it was kind of an area where we could exploit and kind of just get an extremely efficient quarterback and by far kind of the number one option for him. Um, we drafted in very similar spots in this PVJ team to um, this main event team. So to some extent, it was just kind of where we were drafting and him just falling there. We drafted Antonio Brown as well on this team. So being able to pair him and a um, and Michael Thomas just seemed like an essential lock for us. So when they were both there and they were kind of our number one and number two tight ends on the board at that time, it just seemed like an extremely wise decision for us, especially in the format where you have those two flexes and you can kind of be a little bit more flexible with those two positions. Caleb, as, as we look forward to next year, I'm assuming Drew Brees comes back. I mean, there's a chance that if the Saints win the Super Bowl, maybe he rides off into the sunset and the Saints are breaking in a new quarterback next year. But in, in this scenario, if I told you that Brees is going to be back, is Michael Thomas, does he make for the best receiver choice in the first round next year? Or, or is there maybe a different receiver or two that you might uh, draft in front of Thomas? I mean, for me going into this year, I think it's probably Michael Thomas or Hopkins. I'm a really big Hopkins guy. Um, Hopkins was one person in Odell that we had in front of Michael Thomas going into this year. Um, I do think Michael Thomas probably surpasses the two, and it's probably a coin flip between him and Hopkins, just given kind of the volume that Hopkins sees and potentially a younger quarterback that should mature a little bit. Um, and Watson, he could still just be kind of an unstoppable guy from a volume standpoint. And given kind of the PPR format, it might be tough for me to take uh, Michael Thomas over Hopkins at this point, but I think those two are definitely going to be the number two on our board. Um, and it just kind of might depend on where we draft next year if we're going to be able to get those two. Sean, let's keep the conversation on receivers and more specifically receivers that you guys had on both your pros versus Joe's title team and then your main event title team. And another one that fits the bill here is Robert Woods. As we look uh, forward um, to, you know, I mean, we'll have drafts at the FFPC probably starting, you know, a week or two after the Super Bowl. So we're basically, I would say we're, we're roughly right around a month away from, from, from next from quote unquote next year's drafts coming up and people have to be looking at, at that right now. But the Rams receivers next year, you're going to have Cooper cup coming off the ACL. Uh, you'll have Brandon cooks on this team as well. And then you'll have Robert Woods, who is one of the best receivers in the league from a fantasy standpoint, uh, as far as 2018 goes, is he the guy that if you're looking at taking a Rams receiver next year, would you be taking Woods over both cup uh, and, uh, and, and Brandon cooks? Um, I love Robert Woods. Uh, he's so versatile. When you watch their game, he comes in the slot. He plays outside. He's always in motion. Guys like that, they can, they're, they're successful a lot because they can play every wide receiver position. They can their route tree is, is huge. Um, obviously Cooper cup is huge. So you got to just kind of monitor how, you know, he comes back from that injury. Um, but this, this past season, Every draft I was in, Robert Woods just kept falling and falling and falling, and I, I could never figure out why. And, and so he was always there, and we grabbed him, and we were very happy that we did. Sean, uh, we will have to see what, what Tennessee does now that Matt LaFleur is, is the head coach for the, for the Green Bay Packers. Um, how do you unwrap uh, the riddle of Derrick Henry going forward um, when, when you're looking at building your rosters? 
Uh, he is one of your main event league title winning running backs. Um, do you think he's more like the guy we saw in the first half of the season or the first two thirds of the season uh, where he just you know couldn't get things going, um, couldn't accumulate yardage, couldn't get in the end zone and, and was falling to Deion Lewis as, as far as who the lead back was on that offense? Or is he the, the beast we saw at the end of the season when you know he's rumbling for 99 yard touchdowns and scoring touchdowns at Wilson. I mean, I, I'm sure he's somewhere in the middle, but is he closer to the guy that the successful guy or the guy who uh, was coming up short for our fantasy lineups uh, the first two thirds of the season? I think Derrick Henry will be closer to the guy that we saw at the end of this year. Um, but with his style of running, I think his window to be very successful is a lot smaller than some running backs. So I, I still think his time is now, so he's not a guy I'm going to shy away from. And at, at the very least, he can have a bad game and still get a touchdown or two, so that's always a good fallback. Yeah, no, I, you know, we, we talk about wanting the receivers. We, we put such an emphasis uh, in, in these PPR formats on pass-catching uh, running backs. And, and obviously, I you know, I, I still have an affinity for him. I still, you know, target him. I, I still go after him in drafts. But there is something to be said if you're going to talk about the pass-catching running backs. I think you have to look at the other side. And I'm not saying you put on the on the same pedestal, but there is something to be said for big uh, running backs that run tough in, in short-yarded situations and accrue touchdowns. I mean, that's a, a touchdown is basically six catches. So that's that's, just, you know, it's huge, you know, and maybe not six catches because you get yardage with it, but, you know, we're three or four for sure. Um, and there is something to be said about drafting a guy like Derrick Henry, even though he, he may not having the, the pass catching chops of, of Deion Lewis or maybe some of the other running backs that will be going around uh, at the same spot as him and drafts. Uh, but the fact that he is uh, such a beast right around the goal line, you have to look at him and, and we'll see what Tennessee does is at their offensive coordinator, because that could certainly change his value quite a bit as well. The 2018 FFPC pros versus Joe's overall champions. First place out of 72 teams, it's Caleb Alcorn. It is Sean Isaacs on the show tonight. Also the Telly Savalas FFPC main event league champs uh, as they uh, look forward to uh, defending their belt in both leagues next year. Let's get to a couple of emails here for you guys that, that uh, came in right away. Paul in Opalaka, Florida. Is it a foregone and Kayla, I'm gonna pitch, I'm gonna pitch this one to you. Is it a foregone conclusion that Cortland Sutton will be the number one receiver in Denver next year, or does Deshaun Hamilton still have a shot at being the Denver receiver you want to own? That is Paul in Opalaka, Florida. Thanks for the email, Paul. And this is a good question because both these guys were rookies last year. Uh, Sutton, it seems like you know he was the guy that they wanted uh, to be the number one receiver. Obviously, they drafted him uh, higher than Hamilton. But he had a case of the drops uh, for the last, you know, four or five weeks of the season, and, and that really cost him. Uh, Hamilton runs the really good routes. He has the great hands. How do you, uh, Caleb, how do you look at these guys going forward, assuming, uh, I mean, obviously, Demarius Thomas has already been traded. We don't know if Emmanuel Sanders is going to come back. And even if he does, he's coming off a pretty significant injury. Sort of handicap the Denver receivers for this upcoming year the best you can, Caleb. So I think Sutton will definitely be the most valued from a draft standpoint, but from my eyes and just kind of what I've seen being a Denver Broncos fan, I think Hamilton has the most upside. Definitely to what you were pointing to, he seems to be more explosive. He seems to make the hard catches where sometimes Sutton just gets gets a little short-armed. So I'm not the biggest Sutton fan. 
I was actually a huge Sutton fan coming into this year, but I'm a little bit more kind of tempered on what he's going to be as both a Broncos fan and from a fantasy side. So I think Hamilton has more upside. I also think, I mean, at least kind of making early projections for 2019, I think he'll probably fall below Sutton just given kind of the draft pedigree and kind of what Sutton could have been this year. I think we'll kind of carry him over into 2019. And Kayla, I think maybe that maybe the better way to phrase this is is you know you you kind of hit the nail on the head. I'm I'm with you. I think Sutton um, is going to be drafted higher than Hamilton, but really what we're trying to find out is, is who offers the better value. And even though Hamilton is probably going to be drafted after Sutton, he might represent uh, the receiver you want to own simply because his price tag is going to be lower and the production might not be you know noticeably or or at least markedly different than than what Sutton's going to put up. And I think Sanders will definitely come back, but I think kind of given the injury, um, I don't want to say he's an older wide receiver, but being almost 30, it's kind of a tough injury to come back from. So I think Hamilton will kind of get those touches early in the season as you're kind of seeing Sanders get eased back into kind of the system. Um, And there's a very good chance that he might just take that role over and Sanders might be kind of an outside um, wide receiver where Hamilton's starting to take stuff in the slot. So I definitely think it's an interesting conversation. It might not be someone that we draft a whole lot of if he starts to rise, but if he's there in the 10th plus round, I think he'll be someone that we will definitely start to snatch up. Sean, I pitched that last one to Caleb. I'm going to let you handle this one. This is from Austin in Farmersville, California. He writes, hey, Cal and Sean, Having a tough time deciding on the Colt I want to use in the playoff challenge this weekend. Ebron for the tight end scoring or Hilton for the upside. Which way would you guys go? Congrats, Joes. That is Austin in Farmersville, California. For anybody who's not familiar with the playoff challenge, you get one player per team, or for the playoff challenge too, I should say. You get one player per team. He's on your roster for the entire duration of the postseason. Uh, if, if you know his team loses, obviously you're done. Uh, as I look at this, you know, there there is something to be said not only for the tight end premium scoring with Eric Ebron, but the fact is uh, there's not a lot of great tight ends, uh, you know, even still going forward in the playoffs. I mean, I know there's Kelsey and there's Ertz, but outside of that, there are a lot of question marks. And then you have T.Y. Hilton, a guy who's been a warrior basically the last month and a half of the season. You know, he's been battered. He's been banged up. He's still going out there and performing week after week. Um, and, and I don't know if, if this week is going to be any different because, that game has, a, I think, a total of like 56 and a half or 57. Should be a shootout. Both of these guys should have good games, but if it comes down to it, uh, in, and in this playoff challenge, it will. You can only pick one of these guys, Sean. Or who are you going with on your roster? Is it Ebron or is it Hilton? I couldn't have asked for a better question. Caleb uh, and I have talked about this time and time and time again. I say 100% take T.Y. Hilton. Uh, even with the tight end premium format, Ebron is not your – he's not going to catch, you know, nine nine balls to really thrive on that 1.5. But I think everyone's kind of theory going into this game is that the Colts will be playing from behind. So I think T.Y. gets a lot of opportunities. I'm not afraid of him not practicing. Um, I think it was the opening drive of this past week's game. Uh, he was in three catches for almost 50 yards. They got a lead early. I don't think they fully needed him. Uh, I say T.Y. Hilton, 100%. Big, I mean, it's, it's, tough to go, it's tough to go against that. I mean, it, you know, I know that uh, you are going to get the quote-unquote bonus points for, for Eric Ebron at tight end, but, man, the production that you get from Hilton, I mean, that could be a potential uh, league-winning type uh, or championship-winning 
type player to, to own, especially if the Colts can upset the Chiefs this weekend. That, that would be looking uh, like a golden pick, no question. Hey, let's, uh, Caleb, I'm going to go to the chat room for this next question. Aces Rebels is chiming in. He wants to know a little bit about your guys' um, high-stakes fantasy football background, uh, either as individuals or as you know, co-managing like you guys did this past year in, in Pros versus Joes and, and then the main event. Uh, and then uh, he wanted to know how many leagues you guys were managing together uh, both uh, as individuals and, and as a duo this this past season, and I'll I'll actually add on to that. How did you guys just generally in general get together and and co-manage? You know, get together and start playing high stakes and co-manage these teams. Uh, that's definitely an awesome question. So Sean and I have actually been friends since we were freshmen in high school. So we've always just kind of had an affinity for sports, and as we kind of stopped playing sports as college wrapped up. We both just had an extreme passion for fantasy sports in one of our main home leagues. Um, we were kind of always competing for titles with. And a few years ago, I was listening to a Peter Overzet and I want to say Pat Corain um, podcast where they essentially kind of went over their FFPC format in the draft and they were out there and they were interviewing um, other contestants in the main event. And it just was something that seemed so much fun. So I immediately sent the podcast over to Sean and it was like, where do we sign up? How do we sign up? And that was two years ago. Um, so we started our kind of FFPC and high stakes journey, just listening to a podcast and just being interested in kind of extending the format and trying to kind of get more action and something that we really have a strong passion for. Um, so last year, two years ago, we did one team in the main event. We had relatively good success. Um, I think we ended up getting fifth. Um, we were kind of right in the mix for the playoffs at the very end, and things just didn't quite shake our way. Um, so last year we kind of doubled up, and we both managed – we each managed a main event team. Um, we went out to Vegas and did the live draft there, which is just an unbelievable experience. And then apart from that, we had our pros versus Joe's team, and then just five or six other best ball or kind of live formats on PPC, or on FFPC. So I think in total we had about 10 teams this year. Um, we'll probably increase the main event coverage a little bit next year, just given um, the increase in the total prize pool. I think it has a lot of positive equity behind it. So we'll probably be increasing our stake in the FFPC um, streets, but the first two years we've had relatively good success so far. Yeah, half a million grand prize in the FFPC main event next year too. So that is certainly going to be lucrative and 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 uh, massive, massive payday for anybody who takes that down next year. Sean, when when you when you manage these teams, and and I know Caleb just said you're basically managing two separate main event teams on, on your own. But when I know you guys bounce ideas off each other when it comes to whether it's a blind bid uh, for waivers or whether it's a start-sit decision on, on Sunday morning or, or a draft pick and like a slow draft or anything like that. Um, how do you guys sort of, you know, work through this uh, throughout the week? I mean, are you talking every day uh, about stuff like this? Do you kind of get together, um, uh, you know, once a week and kind of figure out what you want to do on the waiver wire? And then, and then, you know, are you on the phone Sunday mornings, making sure your lineups are right? Like what's typical for you guys as far as trying to manage these teams the best way you can? Um, throughout the week, Caleb and I are, we're in constant communication with, you know, who practiced, who missed practice. Um, and that's for the guys that we have on our rosters, as well as defensive players for guys that our players are playing against. And then Sunday morning, usually around, you know, an hour before the kickoff, uh, the early kickoff, we'll, we'll do a FaceTime. And this is one thing that has progressed. We are getting better about really talking about everything 
Um, guys, maybe we both think are a lock for our starting lineup. We've kind of learned that every point matters, and so you, you need to really divulge into every player that you have. Um, and, and just every decision matters every week. We've learned that. Let's get to, uh, I want to ask, um, before we get into sort of the news and notes in the fantasy flash segment, let's talk a little bit uh, about the playoff challenge too. Caleb, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go, uh, go first on this. If there is one player uh, that, that you think um, a lot of people will have in their lineups uh, in this playoff challenge number two that you think should actually be avoided, who is that? And then conversely, uh, a player that maybe not a lot of people will have uh, owned on, on a lot of their teams, but that you think is in for, for a big-time playoff run the rest of the season. You, Caleb, you can go ahead with yours, and then, and then, Sean, if you want to chime in with yours, that'd be great. Yeah, this one's definitely tough. I mean, given how you pointed out, this is kind of the first year of this format. It's going to be interesting to see kind of how ownership shakes out. There were definitely some interesting ownership pieces in kind of the, the original playoff challenge, and one of those was how high Melvin Gordon was owned. He's someone that we had faded in the playoff challenge and someone that we're going to be fading in this kind of second playoff challenge. I think he had a 30% ownership in the playoff challenge, and if that's similar to this one, I mean, that's someone being injured that I'm totally fine fading, and if he ends up falling into the end zone, you know, we'll just eat those points, and hopefully we can kind of get it elsewhere. Um, You know, Keenan Allen I think is a possible option. Um, Just kind of given that they might be playing from behind, I just don't know how much – Melvin Gordon's going to be used um, unless he's just getting hammered in the past game, which some of that stuff's hard to predict given the output he's had over the last three weeks. Um, And kind of on the flip side, running back is definitely a tough decision to make given Gurley, Elliott. So I think two areas that are going to be extremely under-owned are kind of what we talked about being one of the Indianapolis decisions. And I think Mac really should be a part of that. If Indy somehow sneaks out a win at Kansas City, I think Mac's going to be an extremely valuable piece moving forward. And if they get to the Super Bowl, I wouldn't be surprised if he slightly underscored kind of what we saw from Luck. Um, and then Damian Williams for Kansas City is probably going to be less than 1% owned, and he could potentially outscore both um, Kelsey and Hill. Um, so if you're looking for kind of two players just to be really different in this challenge, I think those are two guys that – I'm kind of honing in on. It's going to be tough to actually pull the trigger on those two guys, but if you kind of really want just a dart play, um, I think those are the two areas that I would look at first. Sean, what about you, uh, a sleeper uh, in this contest, and then and then maybe a bust as well that you would advise uh, high-stakes players to listen to? Um, I, I also, we've talked about this a lot. I think I think Melvin Gordon is a bust. Um, he has... I believe it's two sprained knees and one sprained ankle. I mean, he's one bad tackle away from leaving that game. So we are 100% off of him. Uh, I, I said it pretty good. It's, it's tough picking your Colts player. Um, Mac is probably going to be the lowest owned, whereas if they win, he's going to be he's going to be heavily involved. Um, yeah, I think I think Caleb said it pretty well. Damian Williams also is probably going to be a low owned guy who is going to have some value. It's, people get caught in, in the, that game has the highest, I believe, over-under this coming uh, weekend. And so you, you look at quarterbacks and pass catchers, but then that's where those, those two running backs have low ownership, and that's kind of where you can make a move. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's all about picking the right players, obviously, but variance has a lot to do with it too. And separating for yourself from, from uh, the pack and not only picking the right studs, but picking uh, the right sleepers as well. Um, I, I, I'm uh, let's go back to aces rebels real quick and, and we'll get, we'll get into this a little bit deeper um, later on in the show with some of the individual uh, coaching changes, but there's been eight of them so far this year in the NFL. Uh, a lot of coordinator changes as well in 2019. Are you guys looking at, I mean, I guess this is sort of like a blanket statement, but uh, there's going to be some significant changes, uh, and Sean, I'll pitch this to you. There's going to be some significant changes around the league as, as far as um, what players are going to be doing what in brand new offenses next year. Uh, and, and the coaching changes and, and coordinator changes obviously having a big impact. Is there one coordinator or coach change right now that you look at and you say, hey, look out for this team or look out for this player uh, because uh, they're either going to be way overdrafted or underdrafted based on the change that we've seen there? Um, that's a, a tough question for me right now. Uh, I like to focus on on teams that have been successful and they're they're not changing too much. Um, one thing that I did I have read a little bit into. I don't know if it was the head coach or the offensive coordinator for uh, for Tampa Bay who came in there. He's he's a guy that does not you know usually run an offense that runs through tight ends, which is Ironic because they have two very good tight ends, a young one in O.J. Howard and kind of a, a touchdown monster in Cameron Bray. So, like, that's just kind of where I'm at right now. We have a ways to go. Uh, that's, that's a loaded question for me right now. <laughs> no, one, totally, I can it, kind of follow totally, up on Sean totally a little bit, too. Go ahead, yeah. One area that, that I'm kind of curious to see is in Cleveland with Freddie Kitchens. We were pretty high on Baker Mayfield. I mean, he was on our pros versus Joe's team going into this year. We thought that he was just going to be an explosive, high-volume guy, and that wasn't the case to start the year. But once Freddie Kitchens took over, you saw his kind of volume and efficiency metrics really increase. Um, So I think Baker might be overdrafted, kind of given that that might have just been kind of a false positive in the short term. And given that he's now the head coach and he's going to have a lot more you know, responsibilities, probably not going to be managing the day-to-day play calling. So I probably see Baker seeing a little bit of regression moving into this next year, um, just because he's a Drew Brees type player. So when I say regression, it's from a fantasy football standpoint. I think Baker is going to be a great kind of NFL player, but I don't think he's going to be a league winner type player that he might be looked at going into this year. Yeah, Caleb, it's a, it's a compelling situation in Cleveland right now because uh, Kitchens took over play calling in week nine. And then from that, from that point on, the remainder of the season, Cleveland averaged 23.75 points per game. Baker Mayfield, 19 touchdowns and eight interceptions in those remaining eight games of the yards uh, per attempt average of 8.57. His completion percentage almost went up 12% as well. So those are all good things, but as a reminder – Kitchens has to build a coaching staff um, prior to, uh, you know, the first eight weeks of the season. He had never been an offensive coordinator or a head coach at any level. So there is an unknown there. Now, there, there probably will be some good with Baker Mayfield next year. But you got to remember, when you finish strong, us as fantasy owners, we have recency bias, whether we believe it or not. And there's going to be a lot of people picking Baker Mayfield probably a little bit higher than he should be. And I'm with you. I think that you can find similar production uh, maybe even two or three rounds later in certain uh, certain experiences uh, when it comes to those quarterbacks next year and, and Baker Mayfield regressing a little bit 
and maybe not performing up to the draft slot, especially if you get some excited Cleveland Browns fans in your draft. Uh, they might really go crazy on him. I want to thank football guys, Roto World, Roto Pass, and Rob for tonight's rundown as we get into it. Um, and this is uh, something that, Sean, that you had alluded to earlier with the Bucks' new head coach and Bruce Arians. Uh, Rick Stroud on Twitter reports that Arians said Jameis Winston just needs to be, quote, a little bit smarter. No pressure, no pressure whatsoever. I want him to relax and play the game. Talent is no issue. It's just becoming a little bit smarter. Now, you look at this this team, and, and Caleb, you, you sort of alluded to this. Bruce Arians has not run, he has not run offenses that are predicated through the tight end. Uh, O.J. Howard was a big-time investment for this team in the draft. Uh, they take him early on in the first round. Cameron Brait was a big-time investment for this team as far as a financial commitment because they extended him for that big deal. Now, Deshaun Jackson is probably going to be moving on. He won't be on that team next year. You have uh, Chris Godwin, who I think a lot of people were super high on coming into the 2018 season, kind of let a lot of people down. But, Caleb, as we look forward at this team, I feel like Arians has to get those two tight ends involved because – Outside of Mike Evans, and, and I guess obviously you can, you can mention Adam Humphreys, who had 70-plus catches this year, it's not a, a team that, that's flush with playmakers, but two of your big ones are at tight end. Yeah, and it seems like Arians generally has his offense kind of run to the running back, either be it on the ground or kind of the dump-offs that you saw David Johnson have a few years back when he was, you know, just an unstoppable beast in kind of the fantasy street. So I think it'll be extremely interesting more so what they do from a free agency standpoint. I mean, you have the big names of Bell and then there's just some kind of smaller guys um, that might be kind of interesting options for Arians to kind of add on to that arsenal. So, you know, right now I'm probably not extremely high on either the Bucks or Jameis Winston. Um, I generally kind of to Sean's point, don't like first year offenses, um, there's a huge unknown and it's kind of hard to predict. And given I'm generally a little bit more kind of data-based, um, it's hard for me to kind of push some of that stuff into kind of our models and projections. So, you know, some of these kind of newer offenses and newer coaches that are moving in, it's probably going to be areas that we might stay away from unless there's just things that we can kind of build in or see within the preseason. So I think it's definitely an interesting thing and something you have to just kind of make a stand on. Um, when you're kind of building your fantasy teams is do you want to invest in these unknowns? Um, and sometimes you can get value around that. So it's an interesting kind of conversation and a stand for you to make um, as a player. Sean, one of the weirder situations and a situation that keeps getting more bizarre as, as time goes on is this Antonio Brown thing in, in Pittsburgh. And the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette reporting yesterday that the Steelers have not spoken with Antonio Brown since he was deactivated for that final game of the season against Cincinnati. Jerry Dulock had the story for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, he writes that Brown has, quote, refused to return repeated phone calls from both uh, owner Art Rooney II and head coach Mike Tomlin. He did not participate in the team's final meetings after the season uh, when, when they were eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, Rooney, the, this quote is telling, whether the situation can be reconciled and have him back on the team next year, we're a long way away from thinking that can happen. Um, saying that it was difficult to see Brown on this team next season. Rooney, we're not closing the door on anything at this point. Uh, it is a $21.2 million cap hit if the Steelers uh, get rid of Brown via the trade. But this is not good news for Antonio Brown. And, and as we look forward, um, I don't know if this, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster had such a massive season last year. It's hard for me to say that Brown leaving this team is going to make Smith-Schuster's numbers even shoot up higher. 
Uh, he's obviously going to get more defensive attention if Brown moves on. But uh, I think regardless of where Antonio Brown goes, you, you got to believe he's going to have a good season from – you're going to get a good season if you draft him uh, as long as he, you know, keeps his head on straight and, uh, you know, doesn't get in any uh, – you know, any off the field incidents or off the field drama or what have you. I still think there's a potential that Brown comes back to the Steelers next year, but Sean, right now it's not looking good for that to happen. No, I 100% think that Antonio Brown will not play for the Steelers again. Um, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago. I saw, I think, uh, not just I saw, George Kittle tweeted at Antonio Brown saying, what's up, baby? Um, as we talked about San Francisco's offense earlier, that would be that would be interesting. But I think he's a good enough receiver. He stayed healthy enough for long enough that pretty much wherever he goes, he's gonna he's gonna be a top tight end, um, barring a 100% run first team. But I don't I don't see that happening. I think Antonio Brown's stable. I think he's he's very good. Um, he's, he's, off the field issues, you know, he's gonna have to put some things aside. Uh, he's he has a huge ego, but he's a, he's a great fantasy player, and you know, in our world, that's kind of what we look at. That is what we look at, indeed, no question. And and shifting the the focus, not necessarily to next or from next year, but to to what we're dealing with with the playoff challenge this weekend. I'm gonna talk about a guy here that I'm not super high on uh, for the playoff challenge. Now, Todd Gurley has been removed from the injury report. For the uh, matchup this week against the Dallas Cowboys, Joe Curley on Twitter had this story. Sean McVay said when, when he was asked about uh, Todd Curley, how he's looking in practice, McVay said he looks like Todd. He looks like the explosive great back that we're used to seeing. Gurley did not play in the final two games of the regular season. He's had three weeks off to go against the Cowboys. But, Caleb, I'm still a little bit nervous. You know, you, you saw what C.J. Anderson could do. Uh, he's still got juice left in the tank. And it's a tough matchup. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys defense has been playing great right now, and I could easily see C.J. Anderson uh, eating into the workload of Gurley. And then uh, the fact that the Cowboys run the ball so well with Elliott, uh, the workload might not be heavy for Gurley because they're not going to be on the field as much as they've been accustomed to. So I'm a little bit down on Gurley. Your thoughts for him in this playoff challenge? In this playoff challenge, he's a little tough to fade. I mean, at least with the Rams, they do have other options. You can go with Cooks. Um, you can go with Robert Woods. You could even maybe kind of get cute and potentially just have Zerline be your kicker, but I don't think anyone's going to be playing a kicker in this kind of format. Um, so for us, we do have Todd Gurley on our team. We also have five teams in the playoff challenge, and we had him on four or five rosters. Kind of given the rest, I think he's going to be fine. Um, and also with how productive he was when he's in at the beginning of the season and when that offense was really cooking, I mean, it's the playoffs. There's no reason for them to run C.J. Anderson if he's healthy. So we just kind of took the stand that he's going to be good. I mean, if not, his ownership's probably going to be high enough that it's something you can just bite the bullet on if you're wrong um, and just hope other people on the Rams don't hurt you and you're not really kind of missing anything from an expected point standpoint. Let's uh, talk about one of the uh, big head coach changes that we saw over the last week. The Jets have uh, hired Adam Gase. As their head coach, he beat out Mike McCarthy, uh, the former Packers head coach, and the former Broncos, excuse me, Broncos, Buccaneers offensive coordinator, Todd Monken. They were also finalists for the Jets head coaching job. They were also talking with Baylor head coach Matt Rule uh, as well. 
Um, but according to some of the reports, uh, the Jets did not want Rule picking out his own staff. They would have picked out his staff for him. Uh, Gase, as you remember, had his uh, time in Miami cut short after he had another losing season in 2018. Uh, but the, the talent, I don't know if it was there uh, on this team. He had injuries to Ryan Tannehill and Xavier Howard on defense as well. Uh, Gase had the great season in Denver with Peyton Manning, and you'd think that a guy like him could really uh, make a, a mountain out of a molehill of talent in Miami. That didn't really uh, happen. Uh, he is going to now be coaching Sam Darnold, who uh, seemed like he just wasn't quite ready last year. I mean, he had, he had a couple of moments that he looked uh, like he was going to be a, a bar none, really, really good uh, franchise quarterback in the NFL. And then he showed his uh, rookiness uh, on, on several other occasions with a lot of interceptions. Uh, Adam Gase takes over for Todd Bowles. Are you excited, Sean, about this pairing here between Sam Darnold and, and getting this uh, offensive mind and, and Adam Gase? coaching uh, Darnold and, and being able to throw to guys like, you know, Quincy Nunwa, Robbie Anderson, um, maybe spending some money on a, on a running back and getting him in. Uh, Chris Herndon really came on at the end of last season as well. What do you make of this pairing? Is this a good fit for Darnold and the Jets offense with Adam Gase? Um, I think five years ago, Adam Gase going to a new system was a very trendy, uh, you know, upbeat kind of, kind of move. I don't feel that way anymore, but I do feel like I do feel like Sam Darnold is a pretty good quarterback, and I think they do have some talent around around them around him. So I'm I that's not an offense that I'm totally going to shy away from. Uh, that that's where I may look for some value. I think they're going to have an uptick in offensive production next year. So yeah, I think there's some sneaky value coming out of that that wide receiver core. Caleb Eden Rappaport from NFL.com reported this week that Tom Coughlin and the uh, Jaguars brass met with uh, Leonard Fournette this past week about uh, sort of the, the what happened in week 17 where Coughlin publicly called out Leonard Fournette and uh, T.J. Yeldon. Rappaport said that the meeting went well not only for the Jaguars but for Leonard Fournette right now. It sounds like everything is, is headed uh, in a very positive way down in Florida uh, you know, Fournette's been hurt a lot in his two seasons in, in the NFL. This was really a lost season for him. And curiously going forward, as, as we look towards next year's draft, could there be some draft value here with Fournette? I mean, could this, could what happened to him at the end of this year cause him to slip maybe into the mid-second, late-second, or possibly even early third round where uh, you could hop over a, a guy like him uh, who, granted, isn't, you know, he doesn't put up the, the most flashiest, plays and, and exciting long home runs, but he gets a lot of volume in that offense, and, and there is fantasy value with volume. What do you think about Leonard Fournette going into next season, Caleb? I'm really not huge on Leonard Fournette. So one thing that me and Sean really try to do is we try to kind of isolate and predict kind of where we think some of the more productive offenses are going to be. If I had to take a guess, I think this Jacksonville offense is probably going to be one of the worst three offenses in the league, and I just don't want to touch a running back, especially in the first three to four rounds. It's just going to be on an unproductive team that's generally playing from behind. So Leonard Fournette is probably going to be, as much as we try not to just take people off of our kind of like pre-draft ranks, he's probably going to be someone that we just push so low he's never going to be in the conversation of where he's actually going to end up getting drafted at. Um, so for us, just kind of being on a bad offense and him 
being somewhat of an unproductive hurt running back. He just doesn't fit kind of the profile that we generally like to draft at. So he's someone that we'll just shy away from. I mean, he's probably comparable to like a Shady McCoy this year, the last couple of years where the value seems there, but just from an output standpoint, it just doesn't ever materialize to anything. So he's probably going to be someone we just shy away from and let other people take that draft pick and we can just pick up on the wide receivers that are falling or maybe get our second tight end um, in that range. So just someone we'll probably shy away from given kind of our yeah, early 2019 planning. Yeah, and I would say, too, I, and, and I agree with you there. I mean, oftentimes a player like Leonard Fournette, I will have no problem. When, when, you, when you have that many question marks and, and you're being that drafted that high in drafts, oftentimes I will have no problem finding a, a similar player um, that, that maybe doesn't have necessarily 100% of the upside, 100% of the ceiling as, as Fournette, but there's less risk there. And I, I don't mind trading in a little bit of upside in exchange for, uh, you know, a lot less risk. And I think there's going to be a lot of uh, players that are going right around Fournette next year that I'd much rather have than him. Uh, See, so he probably, you know, as, you know, I'm kind of with you on that. I don't think he's going to be on very many of my teams next year either. Uh, we got a few minutes left in the show. Let's answer as many emails as we can get to tonight. Uh, Larry and Cleveland is, is going to kick things off here. Uh, Sean, I'll, I'll throw this one to you. He writes, what's up, fellas? How do you guys feel about Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and Aaron Jones, now that Matt LaFleur will be calling plays in Green Bay. Have a great weekend. That is Larry in Cleveland, uh, Ohio. Sean, Matt LaFleur, new head man uh, in Green Bay. In my opinion, it certainly can't get any worse than it was with Mike McCarthy uh, in the 6-9 and 1 team that we, that we saw here for the Packers last year. Uh, this is an interesting hire going forward. How does this translate with those guys as far as fantasy numbers go? Um, I love Devontae Adams. I was listening to Caleb earlier saying his top two wide receivers were most likely going to be uh, Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins, and I personally put Devontae Adams right into that bowl. Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers still has many years of being an elite quarterback, and I think his number one target is Devontae Adams. I do see with LeFleur and Rodgers there being some issues, but I believe at the end of the day – um, Rodgers is a good enough quarterback where they're going to be productive and they're going to be very viable in the fantasy world. Aaron Caleb, I was going to ask you that. I love Aaron Jones. Right, right. He's, he's very talented, yeah. but his injury is the The interesting thing about um, uh, Jones, uh, as far as what Lafleur has done, you know, in the past, Kyle Shanahan and, and Sean McVay and, and uh, you know, Matt LaFleur comes from that, you know, quote unquote coaching tree. They all have typically like to use one running back in the past. And that really bodes well for Jones. Uh, Sean, like you said, as, as long as he stays healthy, uh, he should have a good season as well. Caleb, I was going to pitch this next question to you uh, to get your thoughts on it, but it involves Gary Kubiak being the offensive coordinator in Denver. Well, we just saw right before we went on the air tonight that he is not going to be the offensive coordinator in Denver as he and new head coach Vic Fangio could not agree on some of the schemes and, and personnel decisions and, and the way that they wanted to run things. So Denver is still on the lookout for a new offensive coordinator. It remains to be seen what, what's going to happen there. So we'll kind of put that We'll put a pin in that one until we know more in Denver, and I'll move on to Ken in Washington, D.C., Caleb. He writes, 
with all these good-looking young guys getting head coaching gigs, or what's with, excuse me, what's with all these good-looking young guys getting head coaching gigs in the NFL? And is Cliff Kingsbury going to help Josh Rosen, David Johnson, and Larry Fitzgerald put up 60 points a game like his teams at Texas Tech did? Thanks, gentlemen. That's Ken in Washington, D.C. Thank you for the email, Ken. Caleb, I, I think we can agree that the Cardinals will not be scoring 60 points a game this year, but certainly uh, any kind of uh, offensive injection you can get into that franchise is a good thing. Um, you know, I know Rosen's going to be better. Uh, David Johnson, you got to believe, is going to put up uh, some pretty good numbers. I don't know if Fitzgerald's going to be back, but I think this Kingsbury hire, and feel free to disagree with me, I think this Kingsbury hire is – I don't know how great it is for the Cardinals, but I know it's very good for from a fantasy standpoint for those Cardinals players. Yeah, I would agree. I'm a big fan of a lot of these kind of newer pass first, kind of just like high volume, just let's just hit the gas pedal and go type of head coaches and offensive coordinators coming into the league. We'll see if it ends up being successful. It might just be kind of a little phase, but I don't think it can get much worse in Arizona. So I definitely think Kingsbury should provide just an uptick to that offense just because it was so poor this year. Um, And I hope that it can increase kind of the volume and the efficiencies of David Johnson, because he's really just being handcuffed in that system. But I hate to be kind of saying I'm going to be fading a lot of teams in 2019, but it seems like Arizona is probably going to be an area that I might not have a lot of kind of ownership into just kind of given the output. I don't really love Rosen that much. Um, we'll see if Kingsbury can kind of light a fire under that team and prove me wrong. But I just think Arizona is just somewhere that I'll let them prove me wrong. And if people are right on them, I'll let those people be right. And hopefully I can be right in other areas. Yeah, no, for sure. I I'm with you on Rosen. I, I don't think there's any reason to be drafting him when, when you look at some of the other, um, some of the other quarterbacks that are going to be going right around the same point in drafts as he will be. I think it just makes sense to, to go in another direction. I have no problem with Larry Fitzgerald on my team next year if he is in the NFL. And a guy that I think uh, gets a little bit of a bad rap, David Johnson played on one of the worst teams uh, as far as offense goes this past season. He still ended up being the number nine running back. So there is something to be said for David Johnson going forward, and I think Cliff Kingsbury is only going to make him better as well. Sean, Mark in Wichita writes, have we seen the last good year of Rob Gronkowski's career? Where would you guys take him in pros versus Joes in the main event for FFPC next season? Thank you, Mark. And Sean, we, I, you know, Caleb was talking about it earlier about, you know, George Kittle being the number three tight end and, and sort of bumping Rob Gronkowski from that, uh, that triumvirate. But, but where does Gronk fall to in a tight end premium draft? Is he still a second round pick? Does he slip to the third round? Does he even go later than that? What's your read on Gronkowski? Kind of going to go back to something Caleb said earlier. I think Gronkowski is going to be drafted by people well before I would take him. So he's not a player I'm even going to look at anymore. Caleb and I recently just talked about him, and Caleb Caleb said from an efficiency standpoint, he's one of the best blockers as a tight end in the NFL right now. And I said, fine, let's just call him Virgil Green then, and let's just throw away the Gronk. Like, that's, that's my opinion on that. I think he's done as a yeah. viable fantasy player. I've been trying to uh, – I, I, I own him in one dynasty league, and I've been trying to trade him in the last couple of years, and I just – I think I need to lower what, what, what I think I can get back from him because I'm just not getting anything worthwhile. And he just – he hasn't had that blow-up game where, you know, he looks like the Gronk of old where you can try to get somebody to, to take him back for – 
you know, 70, 80 cents on the dollar and, and, and give you a decent return. Um, I, I may have to lower my asking price on that. We'll see how he does this weekend. Certainly a big opportunity in front of him as the uh, Patriots will be in action trying to get to another AFC title game this Sunday afternoon. Uh, Caleb Gregg in Palmerton, Pennsylvania writes, hello, Michael, Drew, and Dez. Is this Amari Cooper thing for real in Dallas, or is he going to be an overdrafted bust in 2019? Thank you, Greg. What's your read, uh, Caleb, on Amari Cooper, the Cowboy, for this coming season? So I definitely love Amari Cooper, the talent. I think he provides a lot of value in Dallas. I definitely think um, as that question kind of said, he's probably going to be overdrafted. He'll probably move into like the top 10 wide receiver ranks. And I mean, I just don't know, given how that offense has looked from an efficiency standpoint this year and with kind of what Ezekiel Elliott has become in that offense, if he'll get the volume that he needs to be to kind of be that top 10 wide receiver from a draft standpoint. So I definitely love Cooper. Cooper's been on a lot of my teams over the last few years, and he's cost me a lot of money. Um, so maybe I'll just kind of continue the ride and we'll overdraft him. But, I mean, he's someone that I definitely like from a talent standpoint. We'll just see if it kind of ever really pans out from from a true fantasy output standpoint. But you've seen his ceiling and you've seen his floor. Hopefully he can just kind of stabilize a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, the unfortunate thing for, for him, as far as I'm, I'm concerned, is he always does just enough every year to tantalize me where I'm deciding between – him and another receiver and say like the third round or something and and I've seen the ceiling too much and I've seen him put up so many blow up games uh, that he just he usually has like just enough of those every single year for me to buy in into the third round and, and then by and large I, I do kind of regret it uh, over the course of the season but maybe things will be different in Dallas uh, time will tell and he's another player that we'll be watching as he takes on the Rams Saturday night in Los Angeles Sean you get the final question of the night here it's from Nate in Bloomington Illinois he writes what's your read on T.Y. Hilton this weekend is he good enough to make him my Colt for the playoff challenge to enjoy the elite eight Nate in Bloomington, Illinois, you kind of answered this earlier. You like T Y Hilton, not only this week, but for the remainder of the playoffs, as long as the Colts can keep winning. Yeah, Nate, thank you. Uh, I love T Y Hilton. Uh, I think people shy away from him because he's not practicing. To me, he's a veteran. He's not going to practice no matter what. Um, he's going against the soft Chiefs secondary. The Colts are probably going to be playing from behind. Every script that I look into, T.Y. Hilton has a big game. And one, one thing that I've looked into a lot in the, the latter half of this season is I look at uh, Vegas prop sets um, for individual players. And T.Y. Hilton, I believe, is the highest yardage prop bet going into this week at like 93 yards. Uh, it's valuable data that I get from looking at things like that and uh, I'm all in on T.Y. He's he's my guy. Well, you guys have been my guys tonight on this show. Really tremendous work from from both of you. Great analysis, great stuff uh, of all the things that you've been able to share with uh, with me and the listeners tonight. Uh, Once again, the 2018 FFPC Pros versus Joes overall champs as well as the uh, 2018 FFPC Telly Savalas main event league title winners as well. Congratulations on your top 80 overall finish in the FFPC main event, guys. Certainly something to be proud of. You've come a long way in just two years in the FFPC. Congratulations to you on this year, and best of luck to you in 2019 and the playoff challenge, too, this weekend, too, guys. Thanks so much for co-hosting tonight. Really appreciate it. 
Yeah, thank you, Eric. And, yeah, definitely best of luck to everyone in the playoff team. And, yeah, best of luck to everyone in 2019 and hope to see everyone in Vegas. Um, it's definitely worth going out there and experiencing what you guys put on for all the players. It's it's really uh, an exceptional event. So looking forward to next year and, yeah, the playoff challenge kind of getting into full swing. Yeah, no, no question. Uh, Vegas is uh, is a fun time uh, every single year. When uh, we go out there, we'll we'll have to hook up and, and meet in person for sure. And uh, I look forward to that, guys. Enjoy the divisional playoff games this weekend, fellas. Yeah, have a great weekend. Enjoy everybody. Yep. That Thank was uh, Caleb Alcorn and uh, that Sean Isaacs getting in there as well. The uh, co-owners of the uh, uh, Not a Joe Bro team that won the FFPC. Pros versus Joes overall title. They beat out 35 other Joes and 36 pros to snare the crown uh, back away from the pros uh, this past uh, summer and then also winning an FFPC main event league and uh, taking 80th overall in the FFPC main event. So, you know, we talk about, I mean, that, that, that sounds like pretty good or whatever um, and certainly way more than I've ever accomplished at, at that level. Uh, but I will say to, to have these guys where they're at in just their second year of competition – certainly is, uh, is, a, is a striking thing. And, and as Aces, Rebels, and I were talking about in the chat, just imagine what 2019 could hold for these guys as well. That is going to do it for our uh, show. I want to thank uh, Caleb Alcorn, Sean Isaacs, the FFPC, Rob Rice, and, of course, each and every one of you. Dave Gerzak will, in fact, be here next week, as will 2018 FFPC main event co-champion John Scuderi. He is going to be on. Gary Leibovitz and him ended up winning the, uh, the, the the overall title in the main event uh, this past year, and John is going to join us to tell us how he did it. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun with, uh, with Dave back in the studio. I want to remind everybody, drop what you're doing. The show is over. Go over to myffpc.com. Register for the FFPC Playoff Challenge number two. Time is running out on there. We only have 135 teams left, so you're basically looking at an 86% sold out. And by uh, 3.30 tomorrow, that's going to be it. It will be closed out. So get in while you can. And uh, enjoy the divisional playoff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Good luck in your playoff challenges. Your weekend starts now. This has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com that was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week. Big dog stay on the court. Load of whips. Load of whips. Load of whips. Load of whips. Where you get that from? That was awesome stuff from uh, Caleb and... Uh... And Sean tonight um, to have them on and, and really share the uh, the input uh, that they were able to provide us. Um, it's why we do this show, and, uh, and we look forward to hearing what John Scuderi has this week. Get in on that playoff challenge, people. It it really is our last main event, or excuse me, our last event of the year. It's going to be a lot of fun, and you can win fifty grand too. Um, so there's there's certainly no reason not to join. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I'm going to give these uh, pipes a rest, and we'll be back at it next Friday. Thanks for listening, everybody.